0: Hey, this is Joe and TJ with the Schoolhouse 302 and we're here with our guest, Ted Fujimoto for an interview on our hashtag one thing series. Welcome to the podcast, Ted. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. This is our hashtag one thing series. It's meant to provide listeners with an interview with a great leader, on a specific topic and then dive into some growth strategies with our five leadership questions. This hashtag one thing series is focused on systems thinking, which is a management discipline designed to understand the interdependent structures of dynamic systems. At the Schoolhouse 2 Two, we're always trying to get this simple so that our followers can lead better and grow faster.
1: Thanks, Joe. I'm going to introduce our guest this month, Ted Fujimoto. He's the president of Landmark Consulting Group Incorporated, a management and investing consultancy for scaling innovations in learning. Ted helped to design and create the replication of systems and strategies for several of the largest, scalable, fastest growing, highest performing public schools in the country that have created over 350 schools, including Big Picture Learning and New Tech Network. Big Picture Learning public schools are located in some of the toughest urban areas in America, are graduating over 95% of their students with nearly 100% of them being accepted to college. The New Tech Network has created over 130 public schools and is opening 30 to 40 new schools per year. Ted also serves on the board of directors of the California Credit Union, which is a $1.2 billion credit union. We're so fortunate to have Ted on this episode of our hashtag One Thing series. All right, Ted, um, let's start with the topic of systems thinking, something that you excel at, are passionate about, and are successful with. As someone who builds systems that support innovation and growth, can you give us an example, a story, a situation that exemplifies the power? And importance of systems thinking. Um, maybe start with your operational definition of, of what that is. Joe and I and our listeners are just dying and ready to learn from you. Thanks. Um, you know,
2: I, I think when people, um, especially in education, they have the right heart and they have often the right intentions. They want to do good for kids. And what we experienced is that really great Educators can be average or below average performers if they're in the wrong system and it's like having a freshwater fish healthy freshwater fish getting dumped into a saltwater tank and that saltwater tank you know the tank that you exist in are the systems and you spend your energy either fighting the the toxicity of the water or in a freshwater situation you can and um, be a healthy fish. So examples of this is we had, you know, one. Uh, uh, there was this one teacher who uh, was working at a private school um, and parents would follow her um, from school to school because of her reputation being this exemplary teacher. And uh, they followed her into another school a uh, that the systems were not in place, the culture wasn't in place, and even the kids were saying that she was um, below average as far as the quality of teachers that they experienced in that in that site. Um, so it's a, the the I think people under you know people go into this work thinking that if only um, people see. Uh, what what is right and having good intentions that somehow everything will come about to be. And we know all kinds of bad practices in schools, toxic practices that are so hard to expel, and they exist for years and years. And that's the power of the system. So the, there's nothing wrong with the system. Systems are very sustainable. They outlast people, the outlast boards, the outlast superintendents. Um, The the big question is how can we use systems to create the right cultures, the right practices that that are sustainable?
0: That was great, Ted, thank you so much. And I think the story really helps us understand the right person, the right fit, and really how culture is created. In that situation or from your experience, Have you noticed or discovered what some leaders will do to ensure the right teachers are in the right situations or the right administrators are in the right situations so they have that connection? Have you seen best practices around people making decisions to ensure alignment? So it's not a, it's not an either or. Um, I think it, there's two
2: things that go um, hand in hand together. One is having educators and teachers with the right intentions. And I would say the majority, the vast majority of educators come into the profession with the most absolute, noble, and the right intentions. But systems cause people to do very strange things and out of pure survival. Um, so as a leader, you know um or you're trying to assemble a uh, a a good school team you know intentions is definitely the gatekeeper but as a leader what systems do it's a a system is basically a s- a set of agreements, how people decide to work together and the processes and the procedures and how they allocate resources to back a certain way of doing things. And let me give you an example of how systems can get in the way of, in very strange, unintentional ways. So, For example, you know, I work a number of school systems and districts that are implementing project-based learning with the intention of having very deep personalization for kids and and it's even in their mission statement of we wanna create a personalized learning environment for kids to meet their needs, et cetera, and prepare them for the future. And those are, you know, typical things that you're seeing in a lot of mission statements. And project-based learning is a great strategy for pulling that off, but it took them about two, almost three years to get rid of the curriculum pacing guide. Now, if you think about personalization and pacing guides, they're the most diametrically opposed concepts of personalization, uh, and, um, and what we found is educators, well-intentioned educators, would, they were constructing project-based learning uh, projects around, working around that pacing guide. Whereas no one felt like they had enough power or influence to be able to get rid of it. And so at the end of the day, you had a very strange looking project-based learning that didn't look personalized and it was functioning, half functioning, it was half alive. just like, you know, a freshwater fish in saltwater ocean. So that you know, that, that's a, just a, a simple example of how um, unintentionally um, systems get in the way of good practices.
0: Excellent. That's a phenomenal example. I know you, you describe it as simple, but I think it's common. I mean, that's a common situation we run into when we're not willing to let go of certain practices. Um, excellent, Ted. Our listeners will surely benefit Um, From that, and I know a lot of our audience are practitioners, so this is what makes this Hashtag One Thing Series so beneficial. Let's move on to our five Hashtag One Thing Series leadership questions. So I'm going to start off, Ted, with the first question. Who is one person or group who you follow for either knowledge or inspiration, and where could we find them? As, you know,
2: being um, a bit obsessed with systems and systems design and how you are able to tackle so many different problems uh, with a healthy system, uh, one, of, one of the people that uh, in, inspires me is Richard Branson of the Virgin Group, because it, they're, in, they're in over a couple hundred different separate industries and sectors. And and they've executed so well over time. And, and a lot of those sectors they entered, they were the disruptor, they were new, they didn't know anything about those sectors, but they became uh, you know, top in, in that field. And they did this over and over and over again. And so there is a way of thinking, there's a way of organizing, there's a way of structuring their organizations or governance. Um, how they um, how they translate the values uh, all the way up and down um, uh, through the portfolio of companies that enables to do this consistently over and over again. And I think and there's very few companies um, and organizations um, that have have done that at that scale.
1: That's a great that's that's great for our listeners because I think they can find him and find his work and can really relate to that. Um, and the scalability of it, right? Because in large school systems and large organizations, that's one of the hardest things to do is to scale, you know, to to put that vision into implementation to scale. So a really, really awesome one thing for us. Our second question, Ted, is what's the one thing that, that people should try to do on a regular basis that might make a difference in their day or life. And again, that doesn't have to be related to systems thinking, but it certainly could be. Well, I think it's
2: recognizing how the environment and the environment you create around yourself um, impacts the way you behave way more than people are willing to admit. And so the one thing they can do is to recognize Uh, The systems that support that environment and to take active changes to improve on that environment. So for example, um, going back to that district example where there's that pacing guide with all the hundreds of project based learning teachers working around it, not one of them was able to recognize, you know, we might be able to go to the school board together and get a waiver. If we're doing project-based learning, we should have a waiver from that pacing guide. Um, they went years without doing that. And that, you know, had a negative impact on their, on, on those two years of their lives. Whereas they could have improved on that by knowing what structural things they needed to, uh, they needed to tackle.
0: Thank you, Ted. This is a, a little different of a question and and you've had a, an impressive Career and some accolades that go back to the 90s. Um, so when I ask this question, um, it's it's really about what's next or, or what's in line for you. What's the one thing that you would want to know or be able to do that you don't already?
2: That's a really that's a really good uh, question, and 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 I, I take whenever I posed that question, I'm always, it's its really where the opportunity for the future lies. And the things that I scratch my head on, um, that seems to be very different than what we've experienced, even in the in the, in the the last 10 years where, I mean, 10, 15 years ago, we didn't even have social media, right? Uh, in the next 10 years, there's gonna be some amazing things happening. And the one thing that I keep scratching my head on, around is around the use of artificial intelligence and what that actually might mean for humans, and uh, there's a lot of you know the, the a common response to that is well artificial intelligence is going to just rule out humans. But uh, what the way I look at it, and what what I wonder is what it, uh, entrepreneurs, what inventors, what designers are able to really capture the essence of, you know, we can use. Artificial intelligence to automate all kinds of stuff that humans, you know, that are, are fairly routine. But there's something magical when a human is not tied to do routine things and can spend their time thinking about things that no one else can do. And it, and it, as an example, um, yeah, the computer can compose music, but to create a piece of art, uh, uh, a musical piece that reaches the soul or charter or charters new territory, um, something that's innovative and unique. That's something that a computer can't do. Um, And so there are severe limitations to what computers can do. And I see the role of humans of really spending more of their energy in the creative side, which then um, they can use to create tools. They can use to create technologies. They can use to be teachers of technology um, to Two computers, um, so it's it's very ironic because one of the big things that's happening in artificial intelligence now is the whole idea of of learning and the pedagogy of how do you teach a mach- um, how do you teach a machine um, using its artificial intelligence and its abilities and its lack of abilities? How do you properly train it? Right, <laughs> and so um, it, it's ironic that education is in the, in the concepts and the pedagogies of education they're being looked at and applied to, um, now to how do you uh, train uh, machines. And so there's always a layer of what humans can do that's gonna be way ahead of where the machines are. But you know, it, it's, a, it's about, well, how do we get there? What do kids actually need to know? What do we need we need to know as professionals to fill those new roles, because most people spend most of their lives in jobs that they're doing routine things. And within the next 10 years, all that stuff's going to be automated. So it's about human involvement. And we're going to have to pivot faster than we ever have in the last, even the last 20 years.
1: That's a really awesome answer, Ted, the AI piece. I mean, I think what's great about your answer there is the focus that you have on the positive, which is that Humans are going to evolve faster and have to be more creative as machines kind of take over some of the things that we've done. It's going to mean that our brains are going to need to work and change and, 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 and solve problems that we didn't know existed um, because our heads were kind of down and we were kind of getting the doing done. And now it's time to do some thinking. And that creative piece is, is really cool. And I think it's going to be something our listeners dig right into. So the next question is, uh, what's the one thing that led or continues to support your growth as a leader that others can replicate? I mean, you've obviously have a ton of accomplishments and, and you're moving at a great pace here. What's something that, that you think helps you to be successful that, that, that our listeners might be able to hear um, in this podcast that they could replicate for themselves? Well, I can tell you
2: what stalls me, and it's the inverse that that uh, helps me be continue to be successful. What stalls me, if it is, if I isolate and um, put my head down too long without widening my perspective, because what's going on out there, where the opportunities are, is what's happening outside of your zone, not what's happening inside your zone. And when you just hole up, you're just focused on the here and now. And that's fine to catch your breath, but that's also uh, what, help, what makes you stagnate and miss opportunities. So what I do um, that ports my growth the most is having very routine conversations and gatherings with people across multiple sectors that are truly at the leading edge of their sectors. Uh, we have people who are, have uh, designed the top hospitality and restaurant spaces, earning restaurant spaces in the world. We have uh, people who have consistently told stories in film and television, consistent, not just one-off things, but they've consistently done this. And so they know something about the biology of storytelling. Um, uh, people who have sold over seven billion dollars worth of music for games and you know and they and there's there's a structural thing there's something that they do consistently that enables them to be consistently successful it's not that they don't make mistakes or they don't see failure but they what the but everything that they put their effort to they evolve it into something that's um, not just one-off successful, but consistently they're able to uh, deliver something that no one else can. And those are the type of people that really challenge your thinking, pulls you out of your comfort zone um, and, and helps you think and look at things differently. So that, and, and if you look at different industry sectors in like education, uh, it's amazing how little, there 's learnings in other sectors that uh, that um, you know the sectors don 't learn from each other as much They're, they kind of run in isolation and it 's always astounding to me there 's some things that some industries have done for ten years that um, others are just now discovering uh, so the, I, th- I think that 's the one thing that really continues to help me is to surround myself with people. Um, and meet with them on a formal basis, on a routine basis, pull a group of them together to, to share experiences. I think we all benefit from that. So that, that's something I try to do you know, on a formal basis at least once a month, um, in addition to all the informal conversations I have.
0: Thank you, Ted. I, yeah, it's something I think that's easy to do that is often overlooked, but who are you associating with? Who are you surrounding with yourself uh, you know around with and are they challenging you that 's something you said a couple times it's it's not just to make you feel good and and tell you to con- and continually convince you of things that you already know. This is to push boundaries and disrupt and that's fantastic. Our fifth question what 's the one thing that you used to think that you don't think anymore uh, that's a that's
2: a very easy one for me. I used to believe that if you had the right idea, the best solution, that if you are able to promote it enough, um, people will come around to see it and things will just magically happen and things will change. Um, For some new territory, like, you know, where there is no established system, so completely out and kind of like, you know, the wagons, you know, uh, going west uh, in the in the 17-1800s and unchartered territory uh, that that might work because you are bringing in the idea you're bringing in you're creating systems from scratch I get that but um, in most innovations um, and especially in uh, in schools there's well-established systems and those again get in the way so and um, So the idea of if you have a great idea it's good for kids, then somehow the systems will just evolve to to change as something I do not believe anymore. And uh, in what I believe is you have to actively change, uh, change or replace the system. Uh, So modify or replace the system and by, and, how you do that is you actually have to be very comfortable in how you leverage and um, power and resources and change how that power and those resources get used in the system. Because that's really it, uh, because the, you know, the power and resources are like, uh, it's like blood and nerves of a, a, human, or, uh, of a, of a human body. It's, it's what makes it move and, and move in a particular manner and react and stay alive. Um, so, unless you uh, tackle the core of the system, um, good ideas will die eventually. It's like freshwater fish getting dropped in a saltwater tank. You've got to change the tank, you've got to change the water.
1: That's fantastic, Ted. I mean, I think what is going to be awesome for our listeners is just to hear about um, systematic, active change and tackling the core. And it's not just about a good idea. It's about systematically changing and it brings that conversation full circle about systems thinking. Um, and I, I, what was really great with a lot of your answers today for our listeners and for our podcast is that we're taking something that is complex for sure and seemingly complicated and you're able to really explain it in a, in a, in a simple way, which is key um we always say that leadership is is complex but it doesn't have to be complicated and i think that you're taking some things that a lot of people would consider to be very complicated uh systems structures change models and you're you're explaining them using metaphors in a way that helps people think um it was great ted i mean is there anything else that you would like to add today for our listeners
2: well, as you know, I would say as educators, whether you're a principal or a teacher, um, whenever you're looking at to implement some, an improvement or a new practice or some innovation, and you're saying, well, how can, I'm sitting in somewhat of a saltwater tank. How do I change that around me? And th- there are some practical things you can do. So one is to um, organize and clearly articulate what conditions that you need to be able to implement with fidelity, Um, who needs to be part of that agreement. And um, one, I think, very underutilized um, tool, not only at a school level or district board level, but even at a state board level, is the use of waivers. So if there's some common practice of personalization and things that everyone agrees that, yes, we should absolutely do it, and we find things that are getting in the way, be able to articulate a specific policy language that could be adopted by a school's district or state board as a memorialization of that flexibility and waiver to actually execute what everyone intended you to do and what we agreed to do. That's a that's a very powerful tool that I think is underutilized. Uh, and they, because I think most principals and teachers, they, the the innovative ones might think about sticking their neck out a few times, but I guarantee you, after you know three or four or five years of sticking your neck out and being the one, you know, being the exception to the rule, that's, that's political suicide at some point. And uh, so instead of doing that, it's about how do you organize, articulate, memorialize, so you don't have to carry out the battle of being the exception to rule, but rather it becomes common practice and common practice Often is memorialized through uh, policies and procedures that uh, uh, that tra- you know, transcend uh, changes in school board
1: and superintendents. I mean, that's a key. That's a key thing here, Ted. If I could just follow up real quick on that, is that people are afraid of that. I mean, I think there are waiver policies at the state level, district level, and collective bargaining agreements, but I think taking the first step it's almost easier to stick your neck out. Do you have any um, advice for, you know, as a follow-up, do you have any advice for people who might be fearful to even use the waiver process?
2: Well, sticking your neck off and getting it uh, eventually, um, getting it cut off is is not, it uh, doesn't, doesn't help things. That's, that's, that's the ultimate uh, end of uh, innovation. Um, uh, the better process is to, uh, is one, is I think you've got to be very clear about the conditions you absolutely need to carry out what you need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and many inno- innovators or well intentioned educators can articulate their goal, but they can't articulate precisely what policies are getting in their way. They can complain a lot, they can you know, say, oh, this doesn't feel right, or this is really hard to implement, but they haven't really articulated precisely, this is what I need. Um, So articulation of your needs and getting agreement of all the people who want to do this with you, that's the first piece. The second piece is then taking those specific, uh, that articulation of need and turning that into policy language, whether it's a waiver language or it's new policies that a governing board can actually adopt. And that might mean that, you know, a teacher might not be great at writing a policy, but they can um, enlist the help of their principal or other teachers who might be. So I think it's about um, just embarking on the process of uh, having clarity and agreement and adoption that uh, makes us all work. And not all of it is gonna be successful, but I think it, it is that process that has the best chance of uh, pivoting and modifying
1: uh, in, in a system that, that exists. That's great. So that was awesome. Great interview, Ted. Um, there you have it, Ted Fujimoto. Systems thinking, we talk culture, we talk change. Don't forget to follow our blog, theschoolhouse302.com for blog posts, podcasts, and video blogs, all on the topic of leadership. And we hope you enjoyed our hashtag one thing series on systems thinking. Thank you so much, Ted, for being with us.
2: My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Ted.